You're familiar with the Nobel Peace Prize, but do you know who the prize was named after? It was a guy named Alfred Nobel. And, and Nobel, he, he was kind of a fascinating guy. He was an entrepreneur, he was a businessman, he was a philanthropist, he, he was an author, a writer. And he was born in Stockholm, Sweden in the early 1800s. And he set aside $31 million, uh, $265 million in today's money, just to recognize people who have these outstanding achievements. And so it's not just for peace. He's, there's awards, Nobel Prizes for uh, chemistry, medicine, literature, and of course, peace. And one of the things as an author, one of the quotes that uh, Nobel is known for is he said, second to agriculture, humbug is the biggest industry of our age. <laughs> humbug. You know, you really only hear that term this time of the year, right? It's only during Christmas time that we hear the term humbug. Why? Because of Dickens, Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. And we all remember Ebenezer Scrooge saying that Christmas is a humbug. Humbug literally means fraud. What he's saying is, what Scrooge is saying is, hey, Christmas is a fraud because everybody gets off work and they still get paid. What Nobel is saying is, hey, there's so many frauds out there. Let's recognize people of excellent character, of excellent achievement. And so that's why he set aside money for these awards. You know, it's interesting as we come to Christmas time, uh, in one way, Scrooge had a point that Christmas can be a humbug. Because if we just become enamored with the lights, the music, the food, family, friends, all good things, really, but if we miss the meaning of the season, if we miss Jesus, well, then it is a fraud. It's all so temporary. It comes and goes, vanishes so quickly. And so as John is writing in his gospel, he begins to write about one who will point to a one who is great. He wants to make sure that we rightly recognize Jesus for who he is so that we can enjoy really all that life is because there is only one who is great, Jesus Christ. So we continue our Christmas series, Into the Light. We'll be in John chapter 1, verses 29 through 35. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 29 through 35. John writes, The next day, John the baptizer saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. As John writes, he's, he's introducing his audience, his readers, to Jesus. And it's interesting where he starts. He doesn't start in Bethlehem. He, what, what he's wanting to alert his readers to is that the origins of Jesus did not begin in some small town in the Middle East. No, he's letting us all know that Jesus, his origins are before history. They're before the beginning began. 
And so it's fascinating, really, because he introduces Jesus as, hey, here is the word, the word who is with God, the word who is God. And before anything that was made, that was made, Jesus was a part of all of it. And so we're invited into this picture to see that Jesus and the Father, they have this plan for humanity, for creation, before even time begins. I mean, it's deep, really, really quite deep, fascinating, and it doesn't get any lighter because then as John continues to write, he writes about John the baptizer who comes and explains, hey, I'm bearing witness, this is the Messiah. And so John the Apostle, he talks about two days that the baptizer has. And so on the first day, we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit this morning. On the first day, uh, all these people are coming to John. John's preaching and he's letting them know, I'm not the Messiah. It's not me. There's going to be somebody who's better than me. He's coming. I'm not the guy. And then comes day two. Now, before we get to day two, I just want to give you a little background on who John the baptizer is. We don't see this in John's gospel. You got to go to Luke's gospel for that. But in Luke's gospel, we, we see the backstory of John the baptizer. He has a mom and a dad, Zechariah, who's a priest, and Elizabeth. This couple, they've been trying for years to get pregnant, never could. She's barren. It's just not happening. And now they're well past childbearing years. Well, one day, Zechariah, he's leading the worshipers, and as he's leading worship, what happens? The angel Gabriel shows up. Zechariah, he's terrified. He's scared to death. Gabriel's trying to calm him down. It's all right. Don't be afraid. You're going to have a son, and you're going to name him John. Well, you can understand. I mean, if you've been praying desperately, fervently for years for something, and it doesn't happen, you can kind of understand a little bit of dis disbelief, right? And so this is Zechariah because he knows, well, she can't get pregnant now. I mean, she's much too old. I'm much, it's not going to happen now. This, this can't possibly take place now. And so he says to Zechariah essentially, hey, can you give me a sign? I mean, can, can you do something that I know what you're telling me is true that's going to happen? Now, just a little piece of advice. If Gabriel ever shows up in your life and he gives and he tells you something is going to happen to you, don't ask him to prove it, okay? Evidently, he doesn't think too highly of unbelief. So he tells Zechariah, hey, because you don't believe, you're not going to be able to talk for the next nine months. You're not going to be able to talk until your son is born. Now, can you imagine? I mean, what greater punishment could there be for a preacher? Right? He's a preacher. All he's doing, he just wants to talk to people. He wants to tell people the good news and what's going to happen. And now John, this amazing miracle, he's going to have a son, and he can't even say anything about it. Man, the, 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 just the pain of all that. Well, the nine months go by, and sure enough, John is born. And when John is born, all the villagers, all the townspeople, they come over to Elizabeth's house, and they tell Elizabeth, hey, Elizabeth, you should really name this boy Zechariah. I mean, your husband's been waiting a long time. He's a good man. It's a strong name. You really should name him Zechariah. And Elizabeth says, no. No, we're going to name him John. And they look at her and they say, John? Is that like a family name or something? And she says, no. We're just going to name him John. So the townspeople, they're all confused. They go over to Zechariah. They say, Zechariah, you should name him after yourself. You know, come on. 
And Zechariah, he still can't speak at this moment. He asks for a pad and he writes down, no, we're naming him John. Belief. Obedience. And then at that moment, Zechariah, he can speak again. Now, John, he would grow up and he would leave the comforts of the city and really normal life. And he would go out and he would live in the wilderness in the wild, in the untamed area. And you know, throughout Scripture, as you just read through the Bible, you see oftentimes that when God wants to get a hold of someone's attention and just have this moment just to commune with them and speak to them, he often brings them into the wilderness. You see it with Abraham. You see it with Moses. You see it with the Hebrews. You see it with Elijah. You see it here with John the Baptizer. Even Jesus would have his wilderness experience. But you know, for all those other people, it's always a time, right? Like you go into the wilderness for a time. You meet with God for a time. And then you go back just to normal, ordinary life. Not John the baptizer. He just stayed in the wilderness. I mean, this, this is where he was. And he begins preaching there. And as he's preaching, people leave the cities. They, they leave the comforts of their own home. And they go out into the wilderness to listen to John preach. It's fascinating. And he begins baptizing them. And the people, they're amazed at all this. They say, he's a prophet like the Messiah. He's confronting sin like the Messiah. He's a little different. You know, the Messiah is probably going to be different from all of us. Surely he must be the Messiah. And so people are asked, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? And John's saying, no, it's not me. Understand, they're in people's desperation, they're desperate to be saved. There's a desperation for salvation. And so they'll believe anyone who seems to have answers, anything who seems to bring the emotion of salvation, anything to just kind of ease the pain of sin and the darkness of this life, anything that can bring some comfort, some healing, some safety to this world. And so in that desperation, you know, Christmas can be a humbug, a fraud. Because for a moment, the world tells us this is the most magical season of the year. Because there's the lights, there's the decorations. People seem to be a little friendlier. There's a smile on people's faces. It's a time where we gather together and sing songs. And if it's just that, it's so fleeting. It's so temporary. The struggles of life, the pain, the darkness, it comes right back come the new year. And so there's this question, do you truly know the way of salvation? Or are you like all these people who are coming out to John and you just believe in a counterfeit Jesus, not the real Jesus, maybe a Jesus of, of your own construction? John told the people over and over again, I'm not the guy. I'm not the one. I'll tell you when I see him, but I'm not the one. And so it was on this day, the day we just read about, this second day, that John says, there he is. I saw him. And the thing that kind of gave it away for John is the spirit came and descended on Jesus during the baptism. It's interesting. You go through and you read the other gospel writers and they just kind of narrate the baptism story for us. 
and, and, and you get just, it's almost as if you're there. They just invite you into the scene and they describe it and you hear God's thundering voice, the Father from heaven pronouncing this blessing over his son. It's this beautiful, tender moment of God the Father and God the Son. You see Jesus being baptized by John in the Jordan and all the details of it all. The other gospel writers give us that. John, the apostle, he tells it in a different way. Because he allows us to see it simply through the eyes of John the baptizer, the one who did the baptizing. And the one thing that John can't get over, it's not the voice of the Father. It's not Jesus coming to... The one thing that he can't get over is that the Spirit of God came and descended on Jesus. He mentions it three times in these couple of verses. I saw the Spirit come. And I knew when the spirit, like a dove, came and descended on him, then I knew it was him. And she said, oh, this, is what, this is what he can't get over. And he sees, it's, it's a messianic reality is, is, is why it's so important to him. It's because it just, it confirms everything that's said in the Old Testament. The spirit would rest on the Messiah mightily, and he, and he would be the one to usher in peace for Israel and for the whole world. And so, John the baptizer says, there he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. Hmm. You know, it's almost underwhelming, isn't it? That for salvation, for when you think about the darkness of sin and the peril that humanity is in, and God sends a lamb? You know, you'd almost expect like a, a lion, Right? A tiger, like a ferocious animal who can come and confront the darkness of sin and the perils of, of darkness and all this stuff and really conquer it and defeat it and win. And it says that he sends a lamb. The lamb. You know, there's a story of the lamb throughout Scripture. I'm just going to jump into a, to a part of it in Exodus. And in the Exodus story, you have the children of Israel and they're in bondage, they're in slavery in Egypt. They're desperate to get out. And one day, God tells them, hey, I'm sending the angel of death. And what you need to do is you need to go and you need to sacrifice a lamb. And you need to take the blood of the lamb. And you need to smear it on the doorpost. And then the angel of death will pass over your house. And then you take the meat of the lamb and you cook it. And you eat it standing up because you got to be ready to eat on the run. Because I'm going to free you out of that. I'm going to take you to a place of safety. I'm going to take you to a place of freedom. And now John sees Jesus. He says, the Lamb of God, sacrificed for us, the one who, who will be sacrificed so that we can come to a place of freedom, so that we can come to this place of safety. It's the Lamb of God who conquers but he doesn't conquer in the way you and I would think uh, a savior would conquer, a warrior would conquer. You know, because when we think of conquering, we think, you know, just defeating. And, I mean, you destroy this. You obliterate it. Man, it's done. I mean, that, that's how we think of conquering. This Lamb of God conquers in another way. He lays down his life. He accepts all the brokenness of humanity all on himself. And then he empowers his people to also bear the brokenness of others as well. Not to pay for it the way Jesus did, but to still love. 
to return evil with love, to return hatred with a smile, that we don't overcome evil just with battle, but the followers of the Lamb overcome evil with good, that he's able to help us love others. It's incredible when you think about it, because to love someone, you're always invited into a mess, because as people, we're just messy people, right? We've all got our brokenness. We've all done things, said things that, hey, if we could have a do-over, we'd take some things back. All of us have stuff in our past that we'd be happy to take back, that we wish we would have never done, we wish we'd have never said, wish we'd have never thought, never imagined that we would, but we have, and we want to take it, but we can't. And so people have hurt us. People aren't consistent. They've said they're going to do one thing. They end up doing another. It doesn't go the way we thought it would, it would go. There's unmet expectations all the time. And what does the Lamb give us the power to do? Through the love of the Lamb, we then have that love that extends through us, and we respond with love. We don't overcome evil with a battle. We overcome evil with good. Where does it start? By rightly recognizing the Lamb. That it's the Lamb who saves. It's the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Not just the sin of Israel. Not just the sin of the powerful or the well-connected. He takes away the sin of the whole world. And he comes so unassumingly that it's easy to miss him, you know. It says that when he was born, he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. You know what swaddling clothes were? There were the clothes that, if, if you're going on a long journey in those days, it was always very dangerous to go on a long journey. And there's bandits, robbers, thieves, and there's also animals that could come and attack you. So what you would do is you'd wrap these swaddling clothes around you so that if you were killed during your journey, well, you'd have something to be wrapped up in, to be buried in. So essentially, Jesus, when he's born, he's wrapped in death clothes, signifying the death he's going to die. And he's born, and then he's laid in a manger. It's, it's a feed trough for animals. That's what a manger is. This, this, this is where he's laid. He's lying, he's wrapped in death claws, lying in a feed trough. The first people invited to come see him are shepherds. Shepherds. I mean, you don't get much lower on the totem pole. These are the people who are out tending sheep all the time, all night. They're very transitory people. They were known for being thieves because they're moving from one place to another. So oftentimes they'd go into town and just take what they wanted. They were considered unclean, so they were unfit for temple worship. They couldn't be a part of any of that. Their testimony was invalid in court because of their character. And these are the first people invited to see Jesus. The second people that we see who are invited to see Jesus, they're magi. Gentiles, not Jews, Gentiles from a distant land, a far off people. They're the second people who we see come and see Jesus. And so we see Jesus today in this incredible birth story. But if we just see him as a cute, silent baby lying in maybe a nice crib, and we don't recognize that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we miss it. We miss it. You know, he's easy to miss. I love the honesty of the Bible. It's so refreshing to me. Because any other book of antiquity history, we always present our leaders, our heroes with, I don't know, larger than life, right? Just perfection. The Bible never does that. 
The Bible always just speaks it clean, plainly. Here's how they were, good, bad, ugly, everything. Here's, here's, here's their character. And so here's John the baptizer. And you know what he says twice here? Twice, real quick, verse 31 and verse 33. I didn't recognize him at first. I, I didn't even know it was him. I didn't know it was Jesus. You know, Jesus was his cousin. It's not like this is the first time they've ever met, okay? He, he'd probably seen Jesus numerous times as they're growing up. But when Jesus comes on this second day, John, he had no idea that when Jesus was coming there that he was the one. He didn't know until he saw the Spirit descend on him. See, he didn't have it all together. It's so refreshing to me that John, I, I didn't know. Not until this happened. The deal is nobody has it all together, you know. We can play games, act like we've got it all together. You know, everything's perfect. No, no issues here. But nobody has it all together except Jesus. He's the only one who has it all together. So can you talk freely about your shortcomings? you talk freely about your mistakes? Do you have someone who you can go to and confide in, someone to seek wisdom from, to sharpen you? You know, message of John the baptizer in many ways is, I'm not the guy, I'm not the guy, but follow me and I'll be able to show you who is. Follow me as I follow the Messiah and I will be able to point him out to you, but it's not me. Right? It's so unassuming. And John says something else here about Jesus as well. He says is that after me comes one who is before me. What we're saying is it's a Christological statement that, hey, Jesus was born after me. But he actually came before me. He's affirming what the John the Apostle has already told us in the beginning verses. That Jesus finds his origin before the foundations of the world. It's a Christological statement saying, yes, Jesus is God. He ranks before me. He's, he is before me. He came before me, even though he was born after me. And so, as you just follow this aspect of John's uh, testimony and his witness that he's sharing, if you struggle with overconfidence or if you struggle with self-worth, I, I think there's something here, lessons for us either way, because in one hand, nobody has it all together. None of us have it all together. Jesus is the only one. But on the other hand, God can use you anyway. God can... God is using John before he's even able to identify rightly who Jesus is. He knows, hey, when I see this, when I hear, okay, then I'll be able to recognize, but I don't know yet. I don't know who he is yet. And when Jesus came, I didn't know it was him. I didn't recognize it right off. You don't have to have everything together to be used by God. God wants to use you right where you are. He wants to grow that relationship. He wants to conform you more and more into the image of Jesus. yes but you don't have to have it all together to be used by him. And while my, John might not have recognized Jesus and who he was immediately at first, when he did recognize him fully, oh man, he just can't stop talking. It changes everything. And you get a glimpse of that in John chapter one, because John the apostle, he uses the testimony of John the baptizer and there's all these titles of Jesus. I, I want you to hear them. This is just the second half of this first chapter. John the baptizer, he says, verses 20 and verse 41, that Jesus is the Messiah. 
In verse 21, Jesus is the prophet. In verse 29, he's Jesus. Verse 29 and 36, he's the Lamb of God. Verse 33, he's the one who baptizes with the Spirit. Verse 34, he's the chosen of God. Verse 38 and 49, he's the rabbi or the teacher. Verse 41, he's Christ, the anointed one. Verse 45, he's the son of Joseph and he's the Nazarene. Verse 49, he's the son of God and he's the king of Israel. And verse 51, he's the son of man. You understand, there's there's no other chapter in all of Scripture that you get all these titles, this many titles for Jesus, and it's right here in the introduction. Before you know everything that Jesus is going to do, the first part of this introduction is this is who Jesus is, and he's so big, and he's so good, and he's so great, and there's no one like him. And and this more than just titles. These are descriptions that show us this is what he's going to do. This is who he is. This is how he identifies with the Father. He's the only one who the Spirit indwells fully and rests upon fully. And he walks with imperfection on this earth. He's the only one. And so we see all this. And you read it. In chapter 1, it's almost like a table of contents, you know? Where, Where you read and you say, okay... Jesus, here's this title, and here's this title, and here's this title, and here's this title. And then as you go and you flip through and you read the 20 20 chapters of John's gospel, you see all those titles just kind of worked out on the pages. Because you see how he teaches, and you see how he loves, and you see how he sacrifices, and you see what he does, and how he's God's chosen. You see all this just lived out through the chapters of, of John's gospel. But you know what? You don't see it just in the chapters of John's gospel, do you? You see it in your life too. That if you have a relationship with Jesus and you're growing in that relationship and you're investing in that relationship, you see it worked out in your life. You see that he is the rabbi, the teacher. You see that he is the prophet, that he always tells you the truth. He tells you the truth about who he is. He tells you the truth about who you are. He tells you the truth about your purpose in life, your reason for being. As you walk with Jesus, you see that he is the chosen. You see that he is the Lamb of God who takes away your sin and the sin of the world. You see that he is the true light from heaven. You see all these things just lived out as you live with Jesus. And so this Christmas season, don't simply see the baby lying in the manger. See all that he is. Heighten your excitement of Jesus. Heighten your excitement of Jesus. We see this throughout John's gospel. The opening paragraphs, it's just kind of dripping off the page. This excitement, this awe, this fascination of who Jesus is. And John the baptizer's testimony, I saw a dove descend from heaven and just rest on him. Do you remember another dove story in the scriptures? Genesis, right? With Noah? You remember Noah, right? He's, he's in the ark. They've been out there for days, he and his family. And so he begins releasing birds to see if there's some place of safety, if there's some dry land out there now that the rain has stopped. And so he releases some birds. They come back, right? No land, no place of safety, no place of security, no place to roost. So they come back to the safety and the security of the ark. Sends out a dove. First time sends out a dove comes back with an olive branch, right? Oh, there's, there's land out there. And then Noah, just to be sure, well, let's send him out again. Sends him out again. The dove doesn't come back. 
It's alerting Noah, hey, I found a place to roost. I found home, found safety. I found security. Now you flip forward and we see here the dove coming to rest on Jesus. Alerting John and alerting all of us, Jesus is a place of safety. Jesus is a place of peace. You can find security here. You can find worth here. You can find value here, truth here. He's all that. See, when you rightly recognize Jesus, man, you rightly recognize the meaning of Christmas. There's joy, there's life, there's hope, there's truth, there's all these things, there's purpose, there's reason for being. If you don't, Christmas is a humbug, it's a fraud. It may feel good for a moment, but you miss the purpose of it all unless you rightly recognize that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Heavenly Father, God, we declare that your Son, Jesus Christ, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God, we thank you for the price that he, he, he paid, the cost of Christmas. God, so that he could empower us to be identified with him so that we now, too, can overcome evil with good. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.